0: Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. Thank you very much. It is really, really Good to be with you guys this morning. Um, we just come we, we just came down to, to kind of just spend a weekend in Campbellsville, Kentucky, and I'm not sure how many people ever get a chance to say that in their lives. Um, but it has been a joy, man. We have we have had some wonderful coffee, we have had some great meals, we have had wonderful conversation. I'm sort of a guy who, when I go somewhere for the first time, I want to experience something unique about the environment, about the community, about the people. Um, I did that this weekend. So like if I go to to Ecuador, Ecuador, one of the delicacies in Ecuador is, is guinea pig. And, and so we, whenever we take a team to Ecuador, we do missions work in Ecuador. It is, it is on the list and it tastes like chicken. I mean, I mean, that's just like a dark meat chicken. And so, uh, when we go other places, we do things for the first time. If you go to Europe, to the UK, you eat some things that are packed in other things and, it just is. It is. So I did something for the first time yesterday here. What do you think that might have been? First guess. I shot a gun for the first time yesterday. I grew up outside of New York City. went to school at Ohio State. planted a church in Denver, Colorado. I have typically been in urban settings and, uh, and never had the chance or the opportunity to shoot a gun. You probably had the opportunity, just never did. And, and got to shoot two of them yesterday. And I had some, like, hair grow out of my chest, like, immediately. And so, you know, I don't know what's going to happen by the time we get back to Ohio today. But thank you guys for, uh, for being with me this morning, for being with us this morning. Let's just pray and ask God's presence to be with us as we look at his word. God, we, we are here, and we stand on the promise that when two or more gather in your name, there you will be. And so we don't wish that you're here. We don't hope that you're here. We know that you're here. And in your presence, we want to be alert and aware. We want to be open to your activity. We want to follow your lead. We want to go where you're going. And so, Lord, with humble hearts, with open minds, would you speak to us this morning through your scriptures, by your spirit, and would you cause us to leave changed? And we ask this in Jesus' name, and the church says, Amen. Cool, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 7. So go ahead and turn there. John chapter 7 begins with a very simple phrase. This says, after this. If you're familiar with the story of the gospel of John chapter 6, Jesus teaches a teaching that Peter says is very difficult. He tells people he's going to, they're going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And that's a very challenging teaching for folks who had no concept of what communion was going to be. They didn't understand the meal and the symbolism. And so a lot of people left. And Peter says to Jesus... Uh, that's difficult. People don't quite get it. They're not sure what you're up to. And he says, that's okay. You want to go too?" and Peter says, where, where, where else will we go? Jesus, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. John seven begins with, "After this, after this scattering of people who found Jesus's teaching difficult, it says that he wanted to continue to teach, but was not comfortable going to Judea because people were looking out for him and wanting to kill him. The leaders, the prophecies, the Pharisees were uh, prophecies. The Pharisees, the Sadducees were looking for him in a unique way. John seven starts this way. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of the tabernacles was near, Jesus, brothers brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then the, the modifier of that statement follows it. It says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. If you hear that conversation between brothers, you realize they are just simply being brothers. They're being sarcastic. They're saying to Jesus, listen, if you are who you say you are, and if you're prepared to do what you say you're going to do, then you should, you should make this a public thing. You should find the largest platform you can find and communicate who you are. You should demonstrate your miracles so that people would believe because, well, we don't really believe. We don't really believe your claims. We don't really believe that you're in the business. Of healing, of saving, of delivering, and Jesus interestingly says, "You know what, guys?" And, and I have an older brother, and I've had these interactions, and those of you that have siblings, you have these interactions where it's it's that sarcastic edge of saying, "If you if you are who you are, do do your stuff, man. Like like be the guy." And he goes, "Listen, for you guys, any time." is the time for God to act for you. It only makes sense for God to do what he should do in your timing, but it's, it's not my time yet. John says that phrase regularly. as he recounts Jesus's ministry, it's not his time yet. Jesus had a patience. It's true for many of us, isn't it? We can actually come to Jesus with this same brotherly attitude. God, if you're really God, why don't you heal my spouse? God, if you're really God, why don't you draw my wayward child back into the faith and into the fold? If you are really who you say you are, why won't you do this thing now when it makes all the sense in the world? And Jesus says to us as well as to his brothers, sometimes it's not yet time. It's not yet time. Interestingly. It says, having said this, he decided to stay in Galilee while all of the rest of the community. This wasn't like just the family going up. This was everybody going up to Jerusalem for the party, for the feast of the tabernacles. After his brothers had left for the feast in verse 10, he went also. Though not publicly, but in secret. I find that verse very compelling. Everybody goes as they're supposed to. But Jesus does some work in secret. Sneaky Jesus. Sneaky Jesus. It's the way I title this mess. Sneaky Jesus. Do you know that right now some of us have an expectation of God to move in a certain time and he's moving, but he's moving in a way you can't see. Amen? Amen. He's moving in a way you don't quite understand. He's moving kind of as you're rushing forward, hoping, wanting, doing something that you think is the right thing to do, Jesus is hovering in the background. Sort of like a mountain lion. He's waiting for the right moment to pounce. To intersect, to intervene. It says he didn't go up in public, but he went up in secret. Now, if we continue in this text, it says it wasn't until halfway through the feast now, I've been impressed with all the banners in Campbellsville about the July 4th celebration, and we have come to find out that your city eff- effectively like doubles in size tomorrow, and that governor or state senators will come and participate in the festivities that happen in Campbellsville tomorrow. You'll go from 25,000 to 50,000, that Main Street will be lined 10 or 12 people deep for the parade. And that might be like the party of the year. For the community. It might be the thing that you do. Well, feasts in the Old Testament, feasts at this time were seven day parties. They were this seven days in a row. They were everybody coming from all the surrounding areas, gathering in the center of town, gathering in the context of worship for seven days. So if you combine like the Super Bowl and July 4th, And the university of Kentucky winning the national championship in basketball. And doing it again the next year. And then you throw a party. That's comparable to what's happening at this time. Like when we hear words like feast, we think of Thanksgiving. Tame. When we hear feast and party and, and weddings and things in the scriptures, we contextualize it in our experience. 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on a Friday night. Lame. (laughs) I mean, like the way we picture, and actually, if we're honest, folks, the way we do celebration, it's tame compared to the people of God throughout the scriptures. And so this is a seven-day feast. This is a feast of seven days. Celebration and dancing and joy. What I find interesting is The text that we read for offering is a text that is relevant to the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, when you go to a different part of the world or you preach in a different church, you're always wondering, am I in line with what God might be doing? And as we read the text for offering from Isaiah, I go, I think God might be up to something in the room this morning. I think he might be leading us to think about something. The text was, we will with joy draw from the wells of salvation. That was the chant of the Feast of Tabernacles. With joy, we will draw from the wells of salvation. The theme of the text, of the theme of the feast, was joy, celebration, was being grateful for God's provision through the fall harvest that He made it rain upon the fields, that the fields produced the crops. We were able to harvest the crops. We were able to build up our storehouses for the dry season to come, and we could thank God for His provision. We could thank God for the waters that come down from the sky that nourish. The crops and that we could dance to that. We could sing to that. We could clap and we could shout to that. They would bring branches and they would swing those branches to make the sound of wind to communicate, not just the water that often reflect, reflected also the spirit of God, but the wind as well. That is reflective of the spirit of God. So all through this feast is symbolism that points to the spirit of God and God pouring out upon his people and God doing so practically through the rains and through the waters and God doing so metaphorically waiting for his spirit to fall on his people to empower them in a different way to live. And they went through things over seven days, seven days and halfway through the festival, the text says that Jesus stood up and began to speak. And as was often the case, people had a responsiveness to Jesus. They were amazed at his teachings. They were amazed at his teachings. When was the last time that you were amazed at the teaching of Jesus? When was the last time that when he spoke to you through the text or by his spirit or a word that came of encouragement prophetically through somebody else that you were just amazed that God met you in the moment at the right time with the right word and you were astounded? By how much he cares. We had a time of prayer yesterday. And somebody had a picture of a violin. For my wife Julie. And she has just started taking up the violin. With our daughter. This was like a first year violin student. But it's a risk, isn't it, to take anything up for the first time. And God speaks this little picture, this beautiful little picture of I see you in the violin. I see you in the risk-taking to learn something new, to endeavor into something new. And you think, gosh, he sees me even in the silly moments. He sees me when I behave and act like a child. He sees me when I smile. He sees me, and I am amazed at his attention and his care. They were amazed at the power on his words. They were amazed at the way that he was able to communicate without the teaching, without the education, without the background, they were amazed. And this begins to stir folks up. Now this is a feast, like I said, that is loaded with symbolism and it's seven days long. And so the people are constantly being challenged to think about God's interaction in their life through what is happening through the religious activity. And there's part of the, the feast, which was called the drawing of the water. It was actually the highlight of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the drawing of the water. And on a daily basis, the priests would go down to the Pool of Shalom, which was outside of the temple. And with the most beautiful picture that they had for worship and for sacrifice and for sacred uh, celebrations, they would draw water and they would bring the water back and they would pour it out over the altar. It pictured what was happening by God's provision. It pictured the future to come of God pouring out upon his people. We sang a few songs about the the pouring out desire, the cry of God's people to have him pour out his presence upon them. And so the people would gather along the path and the priests would come off of the altar and they would go down to the pool and they would draw from the well and they would bring the pitcher back. And they would move through the people, move through the crowd. They would come up upon the altar and they would pour the pitcher of water. And that activity took some time. And during that time, they would sing and they would chant and they would dance. And they would wave the branches. And the sound of wind would fill the space. And they would say, we will with joy draw from the wells of salvation. And on the seventh day. This practice would happen seven times. Now, there is something unique about the repetition of something and the repetition of something seven times. I don't know how familiar you are with the the different ways that numbers symbolize things. And specifically in the gospel of John, they often symbolize significant things. But seven is a big deal. It's an important number. And on the last day of the feast, the priest would do this thing seven times. Seven times they would come off the altar They would walk down to the pool. They would do so with shofars and trumpets and musical instruments playing behind them. They would draw from the pool of Shalom. They would bring back to the altar and they would pour. Now, we've learned something in the vineyard about letting repetition build, right? Even in our worship context, we sing the same refrain, not because we don't have creativity that can get us another verse, but because there's something about doing it And then doing it again, that breaks down those defenses and those guards that we have so that the words we're saying actually begin to move from our head to our heart. I refer to that as the goodwill hunting moment. How many of you have seen the movie goodwill hunting? See, now it's becoming a difficult reference because not everybody's seen it. There's a moment in this film where the counselor is speaking to this young boy. who's had a difficult, difficult life. And he looks at me and says, it's not your fault. And appropriately, the kid goes, yeah, I know. He goes, no, it's not your fault. And the kid goes, I I know, I know. He says, it's not your fault. And the third time breaks the heart. And the kid just begins to weep. Because the sentence the first time didn't penetrate deep enough. And the second time, it didn't penetrate deep enough. Enough, But the third time, the third time it had just broken through the barrier enough that it could land where it needed to land on a tender and soft spot that needed to be healed. And in this moment, seven times, seven times the priests go down to the well. They draw the water. The people are saying collectively with joy, we will draw from the well of salvation. Not once, not twice, probably not just seven times, but over and over and over and over. With joy, we will draw from the well of salvation. Let's try that together. Repeat after me. With joy, we will draw from the well of salvation. With joy, we will draw from the well of salvation. Now you're probably going to ask how many, how many, how many times going to make us do this (laughs) And this celebration happened so many times that it just became the phrase of the feast. This is the teaching point of the feast. This is the teaching point of the feast. This turns into literally a, a frenzy. It is strange why people take their couches off their porches, throw them into the front yard and light them on fire. That's like a strange thing, right? And yet it happens. It happens at Ohio state. It happens at UK. And the next day, everyone has to be going, what, what were we thinking? Where, where are we going to sit? Like we now have to go spend a few hundred dollars to get a new couch. Like it's, it, there's, there can be something that can create Sort of that frenzy, right? When we are so overjoyed, when we are so caught up in the moment, it just makes sense to be exuberant, to celebrate. The middle of this feast says that Jesus, with all of this symbolism, with all of this activity, the drawing of the water, the dancing, the branches being woven and waved in order to sound like the coming rushing wind of the spirit of God. It says towards the end of John 7 that on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, they're doing all this stuff. All of the people of God are Being impacted by the symbolism of the spirit of God being poured out. The water, the wind, the picture of God coming to his people and providing. And Jesus, off to the side, on the last and greatest day of the feast, stands up and in a loud voice says to the crowd, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me. And if you believe... Drink and from that person, streams of living water will overflow in the midst of all of the symbolism, in the midst of all of the ritual, in the midst of all of the pointers to a future time, all of this activity, all of this celebration, Jesus says, that is this. All of that leads you to me. And if any one of you is thirsty, if any one of you is thirsty, come to me and drink. And if you believe from your wells, streams, living water will flow. If anyone is thirsty, come to me, and if you believe, drink. So it leads us to ask two questions in a room like this today: Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Thirst is an interesting thing. Thirst in the human body reveals lack. When you are thirsty, your body is telling you you're missing something. You're missing something. You need something that you don't have enough of. Most doctors say that most Americans live in a perpetual state of dehydration. And that things just simply like chronic headaches are solved more often by just beginning to drink more water. Now, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not prescribing anything in this moment, <laughs> except to drink deeply of Jesus. What he says is if you are thirsty, if you can identify the areas of need and lack, If you can see the spaces in your life in which something isn't quite right. If you know that there's a a hole or a gap. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And there's a lot of options on the landscape. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of places you and I can run when we become aware of the need. I'm a huge coffee drinker. When I get thirsty, my tendency is to get a cup of coffee. If you are smart, that is not the right drink for you. If you're thirsty, go to the source of water that gives life. If you have a need, come to Jesus. And if you believe that he is the one who can satisfy everything, that if he is the answer ultimately to every question, that he is big enough to answer the core questions of every human's life. Am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I accepted? Am I desired? Have I been made with purpose? If you believe that he is the center of those things, then drink of him deeply. Drink of him deeply. Take him in regularly. The analogies of water and of bread. Basic essentials. Take him in. Take him in. Take him in and from you will flow a life of meaning and significance and purpose and wholeness from a place of satisfaction, from a place of overflow. Not just giving out of more lack to create more need, but from a place of overflow that we give from joy. We give from abundance. We serve from gifting and purpose and we minister from power. Amidst all the symbolism of the Feast of Tabernacles, pointing to a future age in which God would pour out His Spirit upon His people and He would meet them in a profound new way, Jesus stands up and in a loud voice says, If any one of you is thirsty, come to me. And if you believe, drink. Question number one Are you thirsty? Question number two is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the source of living water? In Jeremiah, there's a similar text that says, my people have committed two sins. They have turned their back. They have forsaken me, the the, the fount of living water. And they have begun to dig wells, empty wells, things that will never bring life on the landscape. They've stopped looking for life from me, and they're looking for life from other things. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? And if so, drink. If so, take him in. If so, be filled with his offer. If so, be filled with his spirit. Embrace the forgiveness and the friendship, the companionship and the compassion. What I'd like us to do this morning is respond to really the the implication of Jesus' invitation. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. And if you believe, drink. Would you stand with with me? Ministry folks, I'm going to invite those of you that are part of the ministry team for the morning service to come forward. And as they do, I just want to invite God's presence to come. It is is for many of us not a question that we reflect upon. Are we thirsty? Are we thirsty? We can be aware that something's off, but we don't necessarily ask it from the from the right starting point. We can have an outburst of anger. But that's just a symptom of need. We can be impatient at work. We can be sharp with our words. Those are, those are just symptoms. Those are the overflow, so to speak. The outward work of what reveals the lack on the inside. For some, it's actually just evident in our physical bodies, that our physical bodies lack, that something is breaking down. Something isn't working as it ought to. And it's a picture of lack. It's a picture of need. For some of us, it's situational. It is the provision of the job that just isn't quite getting us enough to pay the bills, to pay the rent, to pay the mortgage. And provide for our family as we, and we are aware of the lack. And it creates anxiety and frustration and tension. And Jesus says, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone is thirsty, come. Anyone is thirsty, come. For any reason, if you are thirsty, come. So I invite God's presence to just lead us. I want to invite his spirit to guide us. To search us and to show us areas where there might be Lack. Areas where there might be need. Areas where there might be a space that he and he alone is prepared to fill for us this morning. So, God, we ask your spirit to come. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.